Listening Dog Media. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Offside Rule. We get it. With Lindsay Hooper, Hayley McQueen and Kate Borsay. Hello and welcome to another Offside Rule podcast. I am joined once more by Kate Borsay, Hayley McQueen. It's myself, Lindsay Hooper, and it is episode number... 20. 20. Double figures twice. Who knew we'd get here? Isn't it nice to step back into our 20s? It's been a while. It's the only way we're going to do it, girls, on the podcast. I don't know what you mean. I'm 25. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so you say. You wish. Uh, We are available to download via uh, SoundCloud and iTunes every single Thursday, so make sure you get across that and also follow us on Twitter at OffsideRulePod. We have a Facebook page. Um, Also, on the way, we will be talking about uh, the best stories of why players have got out of playing football football they may have been injured unlikely injuries and of course there's another Wolves prompted topic so did you hear about Carla Keme after that horrendous own goal that we spoke about last week no but you're going to tell us aren't you go on what's he done silly boy he punched the wall. <laughs> it was a board, actually, wasn't it? It was a tactics board that he punched and broke or damaged his hands. So he's going to be ruled out for a lot of the season now. Silly boy. But it's, uh, it's actually inspired some great stuff for us for this podcast. So we're happy about that. Um, Football League Awards, which, Hayley, you were at. Did you have fun? Oh, I had a great time. And I, I wasn't drinking. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> Breaking news. It was really good fun. Yeah, and great to meet some different people and get out from behind the desk because it's not very often I'm let out, apart from to obviously meet with yourself and Kate and have a bit of a gossip and a chat with the offside rule. But met some very cool people as well. Good. Well, we will have that as one of our topics, our second topic this week, because do we agree with who won what? Uh, you actually presented one of the awards. You can reveal that later as well. Um, I've got a few. I've got a few pointers about that there's a couple of things I wasn't so happy with and then um, Roy Hodgson's year so it's almost a year it's coming up in May first of May he will have been in charge for 12 months uh, just wanted to look back on Roy Hodgson as England manager rate his performance his managerial style the team selection if we've got any thoughts on that has he got the big names playing for him well has he brought on new players um, I would want you to just discuss for a few minutes about exactly what we think about him as England manager and was there any possibility that Harry Redknapp may have done a better job overlooked do we believe that's the case we're going to start there so I'm going to begin by asking Hayley McQueen what are your thoughts on Roy Hodgson as England manager and how he's doing I was delighted with the appointment. I would have liked to have seen Harry Redknapp. I think we all would just for having that kind of character in there and fun. And of course, we know he creates headlines. Some of them have been negative, but his life has kind of turned around since, of course, that court case. And he's enjoying his time at QPR. And I don't think we will see him as um, England manager again. But I think Roy Hodgson is one of those very intelligent men who has dealt with lots of different styles of football around Europe and is the best man to get the best out of players who look up to him as kind of like a a headmaster, fatherly, maybe even grandfatherly type figure. And, yeah, he's very good at sort of dealing with people in a really nice way. He's one of those lovely, lovely men that when you meet him, I met him at the FA's 150-year celebration and came over and had a very warm conversation with him. And I just thought, it's it's, it's so different from when you meet your Fabio Capellas or your Sven's and you're kind of very sort of separated from them. Uh, But he's 
doing a wonderful job. The problem is England haven't faced particularly wonderful opposition to really test themselves. The last real technical side that England faced, I think, was in the Euros up against Italy. The possession is proving a big problem at the moment as well. I think that was one of the things that was highlighted from there. There's been talk this week of uh, the long ball being something that uh, others think that England play, which is a bit of an unfair kind of uh, assessment of England's style of football. He is looking to youth, which is great, yet he's still using those experienced players. He wasn't afraid to call back Rio Ferdinand. We know what happened with that situation. But I think he's got real problems at the moment, not him himself, but selection problems. What do you do when you don't have centre-backs? And what do you do when the centre-backs that you perhaps like to use, maybe your Smallings and your Joneses who could come in, the future of football, aren't playing regular first-team football for their club because they're kept out by players like Rio Ferdinand. Sir Alex plays them in different positions to where the England manager would like to play them. I think it is a bit of a disaster at the moment at the back, but we're all aware of that. I think visually speaking as well, he's certainly tightened up the sort of play. Um, I still think... I'm going to give a, a positive and a negative, I guess. A positive is um, he's really, really invested time and energy in promoting Oxley chamberlain And he is one of my favourite players. I think he will be a brilliant asset to England for years to come. And I'm really pleased to see him being given the freedom and opportunity under Hodgson um, to really come forward. But I also think that the midfield, you know, the whole Capello era where he couldn't get Lampard and Gerrard to play together, that's still not really been solved. We've still not got that midfield set in stone yet. And that, for me, is one of the problems. Just picking up on what you said, Hayley, as well, about results so far. Um, of course, yeah, Italy have been the sternest opposition. Must point out, though, that this podcast is being recorded before the Montenegro game because Montenegro, I think, will be tough opposition and that will be a test. And unfortunately, we've not got the result for that to record today and, and be able to reflect. But on the rest of his reign and tenure, what have you thought, Kate? In terms of Hodgson's style, well, I've been lucky enough to watch England on a few occasions. Well, I watched them play Brazil. Now, that was a friendly, but it was a very good, encouraging game. What I liked about that game was for the first time in a while that I've seen England play and I watched them a fair bit under Capello as well for the first time ever England showed positivity up front and they showed freedom and confidence up front and that's what we've not had from an England team in a good while Danny Welbeck Jack Wilshire's shining performances there and we can't forget that freedom when we're playing whoever we are playing my my other concern is consistency because there are a lot of players that have been tried okay there've been a lot of friendlies like you say against Brazil and there've been a lot, lot of opportunities with lesser opposition like San Marino to give players a run out and see who he likes who he doesn't but when it's approaching 12 months there is no way that we know what team sheet he's putting out there's a couple of names that we might think well Rooney will be involved and Gerard will be involved but you can't say that you know the starting 11 and surely for a team that's going to go on and be very successful at the big competitions like the Euros and World Cups you need that consistency you look at sides like Spain who've done very well in Brazil and it is always the time when you they know who their team is and they just work around the, the core you would point out, though, that with Hodgson, he is fitting players into his plan rather than making a plan around the players. So in terms of consistency, I do agree. We do need to have regular starters. But where Hodgson's shining for me versus Ericsson and Capello to some extent is that it's 
It is Hodgson's plan, and players know their role fitting into that plan. He's not creating the plan around the players. I think it is good to see that, like you said, Kate, he is not afraid to bring in the young players. Your Oxlade Chamberlains, you've got your W's as well, Wilshire, Welbeck, Walcotts. You've got all these young players who are all coming through that might just be that little bit too young for the World Cup, but they've got the enthusiasm, uh, the pace, the skill, but maybe the next Euros that come up, I think we'll see a very different England side. They'll be a lot more settled. Uh, Defensively, the issues... um, won't be there. Rio Ferdinand will be too old. He won't be playing for England again. Neither will some of those experienced players. And we will start to see the Joneses and the Smallings and people like that come up and see a very different looking England. But I think for the next uh, year, I think certainly is going to be very, very difficult because we're really in that transition period. I would like to see Phil Jones, Leighton Baines, Jack Wilshere, Oxlade Chamberlain mm. set in stone. That is part of the team. That is who we're going with. And unless they're injured, they're going to form a spine of, of the side. Mm. And, and that is something I would like to see over the next few months with Hodgson. I'd like him to cement what he's going to do. Because for me, as great as Gerard is, as great as Lampard's been, as brilliant as Rio Ferdinand and the John Terry debate could be um, in terms of defence, yes, they've been great stalwarts for England over the years. It's about at the turn of the future and it's about looking forward and that is what I would like to see Hodgson now he's he's had his experiment hasn't he he's tried out a few things let's move forwards I'm not so keen for him to firm it up immediately and I think it's a real blessing that there's a scarcity of big Premier League superstars in that England side. You know, you've got Gerard Rooney. I think it's a good thing to no longer rely on your Rio Ferdinand and your John Terry's. And I think Frank Lampard's time in the England side has passed, I have to say that. One interesting thing about Hodgson is he very cleverly appointed the right coaches around him. And we need to look at the relationship between Hodgson, the FA, and also the other Premier League champions championship clubs as well because one thing that the Rio Ferdinand debacle does illustrate is that is that communication still is not quite right a great discussion girls I think um, just to wind that up it seems the jury is still out but Hodgson so far not so bad I am Darren Goff and you're listening believe it or not to three gorgeous women talking about football now football and women I'll leave it with you Let's go for topic number two next. We're moving on to the Football League Awards. Um, so first of all, Hayley, which was the award that you presented? I presented Fan of the Year, oh, which lovely. was good. Yeah, it went to Neil Namilias of Exeter City. This is a guy who travels up and down the country to see his beloved Exeter. But not only that, arranges the travel for most of the other fans as well and makes sure that the fans that have troubles getting to places and finding transport and being able to afford it get together and kind of come up with them. Car shares, lift shares, getting buses. He plans routes. He set up um, a website basically dedicated to this and makes sure that the fans are looked after on match days. They have places to meet. They arrange to meet in certain and pubs or restaurants and meeting points he literally does everything there's a lot more besides as well he works for the supporters trust he came together with uh, money from his redundancy I think from a job uh, and donated it all to the supporters trust to make yeah. sure that the club was was still in existence and of course it's it's him and lots of other fans who've got together to make sure that Exeter City is still running as a club and, and run by the supporters 
How fantastic. Um, well, we've, we've actually highlighted four different categories that we're going to discuss. I'm glad that we managed to hear about that one. A great story. I think, actually, if we had that sort of fan amongst us three, it would be Kate, wouldn't it? You'd be the one <laughs> rallying the teams, organising the transport. She's so brilliant at doing all the admin for this. Um, wouldn't you? That would be you. I would probably love it, yes. There are a couple of projects that I do outside sport that are pretty much like that. (laughs) Hindus mainly. Um, So Football League Awards, we're going to talk Young Player of the Year, League One, League Two and Championship Player of the Year. I'm going to tell you who was nominated. Uh, We all know the winners by now, but whether we agree and whether we had anything else to throw in the pot. Uh, Let's start with Young Player of the Year and the three names. I'd seen all of these myself from reporting this year. Thomas Ince, Matthew Vidra from Watford and Wilfred Zahar. So, who did we think deserved to win, first of all? So, uh, Thomas Ince for Blackpool uh, won it. Well deserved, but there were a few other names that I wanted to throw into the pot. Um, The first being Sam Byron from Leeds, uh, 19 years old, and he's a defender. Um, He's had a bit of a breakthrough season, um, very, very strong for them. What I think I wanted to point out is that I do like these awards, but they're a bit skewed to the forwards, weren't they? It was kind of, it was a little bit the glitz and glamour of it, really, and all about the goals and kind of not necessarily too much of a nod towards those players within a team who have been responsible for keeping the clean sheets, who have been the the kind of glue bonding the side together. So um, I don't know yet. I mean, mean, Sam Byron, for me, from Leeds, definitely should have been in, in with a shout for the Young Player of the Year. I was really happy that it was Thomas Ince. I interviewed him and his dad a little while ago for a magazine, Football 24-7. Just get that in. He's a really lovely, nice boy. Lives with his dad as well. He's biding his time. He's took a step away from Liverpool, dropped down into the championship and is going about things the right way. And I think his dad obviously had the spotlight on him from a very young age and is making sure that his son doesn't make the mistakes that some other young players make that isn't sort of um, taken over by all the glitz and glamour that goes with playing for a Premier League club. And I think he's just um, biding his time, knuckling down, doing things the right way, out of the spotlight, and I'm sure he will be a a star that rises and shines. One more name I did want to mention in the young category was Will Hughes, only 17 years old from Derby County. I've mentioned him before, a shock of blonde hair, fantastic midfield player. Yeah, he was the other name that I would have put in there. Uh, But onto the championship, as Hayley's guided us nicely into that category. Vidra, yeah, you know, I'd seen him. I thought he was a very good player for Watford. Glenn Murray was nominated as well for Crystal Palace. Thomas Ince repeated. I, I thought, you know what, there's Vidra and Ince, both in Young Player and mm. Championship um, Player of the Year. And I thought, why not look to some older heads? A little bit touching on what you were saying earlier, Kate. I wrote down some names that just off the top of my head from reporting that had impressed me. Peter Whittingham at Cardiff. And you can't ignore as well that Cardiff are flying high yeah. in the Championship. I thought they would have had some representation in the mm. awards. Great in midfield, a linchpin of the side. And of course, has that experience that, that is needed to get promotion. Ross McCoy. Cormac from Leeds, I put down. Liam Brigcutt from Brighton and Hove Albion. I thought he's been amazing. He was, yeah. he was the player of the year for Brighton 2011-12, but he's continued that form into this year. And he was man of the match, wasn't he, for that 2-0 FA Cup win against Newcastle. I thought he played out of his skin in that game. Um, a player that I know Kate will want to mention, Jack Butland, Birmingham City. Um, goalkeepers didn't get a mention, did they? So there were a few names that I thought were missing in the championship player, but of course you can't cover everybody. And I thought, you know, Vidra had had a good season. I mean, I 
looked at Cardiff as well, actually, because they are flying high. They've had a very strong season. And unlike the teams from second place and below in the championship, they've, they've, they've remained dominant there at the top and just let the rest of them kind of scrabble it out amongst themselves. Um, I wanted to pick out a goalkeeper. Also, you know, Butland, of course, yes, I would mention him. Um, but also David Marshall from Cardiff as well. Um, he's kept 14 clean sheets this season. Yeah. Mark Hudson from Cardiff City too, um, I wanted to mention. Um, now, he had hoped to win Gold of the Year because that was another category in the awards. Um, it, it was, if, you, if you get a chance to watch it, a 68-yarder, an absolute yeah. thunderstrike against Perla. Derby, a Perla uh, last season. Really, really good. But, you know, he's very much a rock within that Cardiff side. So, yeah, I, I would have liked to have thought that uh, he would have got uh, a bit of a nod as well. Vidra did win it. I present with Adam Leventhal, who's a massive, massive Watford fan at Sky Sports. And um, I obviously come in on a Sunday morning. We have a slot together. There isn't a Sunday where I'm not reporting on him scoring a goal and watching these sublime goals that he scores. So I wasn't surprised that he won it. And he had a spell, actually, of scoring two goals in three games. So back-to-back games, it was two, followed by two, followed by two. And I think that was a, a particular period where... I was thinking, yeah, this guy's probably going to go on to win perhaps player of the season. Yes, so triple brace there. There you go. I wasn't surprised to see him win that. 20 goals in 41 games so far uh, for Watford at the point of recording this. We'll go on to League One next. And the nominees were Matt Ritchie from AFC Bournemouth, um, Alan Judge from Notts County and Leon Clark from Coventry City. It was Matt Ritchie that got the award. I have to say with League One, I don't really have too much to add. I thought that the right person won. Um, um, any takers? So the story on Matt Ritchie is that um, last season uh, he won the League Two award um, with uh, Swindon. Obviously, he's now with Bournemouth. Um, but yeah, I don't think he ever imagined that he would win it two years running, but in two different divisions. So hats off to Matt Ritchie for that. When you look at Clark, I think a big problem with him is he's injured now. And that's the problem when you do these awards, not just saying the Football League Awards, but any awards, they come earlier on in the season. So you're having to vote when you've not actually seen the season out, which is always really, really hard to do, isn't it? So yeah, Leon Clark started the season at Charlton, found the net 21 times in total in that term, which was quite special. 11 of those are coming during that loan spell at Scunthorpe over in the first half of the campaign. And then, of course, he swapped them for the Addicts. His season, however, has been cut short. He has a real serious angle problem. And it's a shame because I think he would have gone on to continue uh, with that good form there. So he was just a, one of those. But, I mean, you could list 20 players who deserve that award. And I very much agree with Kate. Uh, one of the points I had, it would have been really nice to have seen goalkeepers and defenders uh, rewarded. But perhaps because the strikers are doing so well this season that they... They couldn't decide between them and, and, and had to pick those that do pick up the headlines. But maybe next season we'll see a, a, a slight change. I 100% agree with that statement. Apart from the one category where I thought the right striker was rewarded is the next one, League Two. I'd mentioned Tom Pope a few times from Port Vale because not only is he out and out the best goal scorer in League Two, I mean, that Golden Boot Award is his for the taking, but he's ahead by so many goals. Mm. And without him, Port Vale would not be as high up the table, it's clear to say. So a great winner. But the other nominees in that category, I thought Gary Jones was a good call because of Bradford as well, having that great run in the cup. Um, And Jamie Curitan, from Exeter who the Neil who you gave the award to will have seen many occasions and probably would have been vying for him mm-hmm. um, who, who else did you have in League 2 I'm, I'm guessing we were all agreed on Tom Pope yeah we are I mean 27 goals um, to date um, for the season um, and it's the club that he's supported since he was a child so he's a good example of a homegrown success
a thing I liked about him, he didn't want to win the award because he didn't want to get up on stage <laughs> and chat to Manish Basin, who was uh, presenting it. He was so mortified about having to get up and speak on camera, knowing that it was being streamed live and that things would be taken from it. He was going to have to do interviews afterwards, which is quite funny because normally they like getting up there and doing their interviews, especially when you're in League Two and they, they haven't got as much uh, coverage. Do you know what as well? He runs a Sunday league side oh, and really? plays as well. Yeah, so every Sunday when the other players are resting up from a hard afternoon out on a Saturday, he's up training, sorting out his Sunday league side as well. But he said it was wasn't about receiving the award personally. He was just really pleased to receive the award um, on behalf of a football club that he absolutely loves and is desperate to see them promoted, vying for that promotion. It's obviously down to him that they're in the position that they are in at the moment. Um, since he stopped scoring, because he's gone through yeah. a mini barren spell, they've won just twice in nine matches. But in every game that he scored... They have actually gone on to win. So it, he is Port Vale, Mr. Port Vale. There you go. And there was a few jokes as well about it being a good month for the Pope. But a boom. <laughs> a very good month for the Pope. Um, we're going to take a little interlude now with Faker Others and her non-league roundup. But still to come, our third more jovial topic. Sorry, boss, the iron fell on my foot. Is that a genuine one, Kate will say? <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> uh, we're talking excuses as to why footballers have not been able to play bizarre injuries and them feeling a little bit stupid about it. Uh, we'll talk about that. Also, reasons in Twitter topic of the week, why you have gone to great lengths to get to a football match. Uh, what has been the best story we've received? We'll share them with you. And Simona Felsberger will uh, sum up Bundesliga and what's been going on there. But first of all, Faye, who's going to fill us in on non-league football. Thanks very much, ladies. Three games postponed on Tuesday because of the weather and four on the Saturday just gone. So Barrow, Ebsfleet, Alfreton and Macclesfield haven't played a game at all this week. But no change at the top of the Blue Square Bet Premier because Kidderminster are still sitting in the automatic promotion spot despite drawing two all with Woke. Mansfield just a point behind them after beating Nuneaton Town 1-0 and despite losing at the weekend Newport are still in the top five after they beat Southport Elsewhere Lincoln have distanced themselves from the bottom four after beating Braintree Grimsby and Gateshead drew Hyde beat Cambridge United and Hereford beat Dartford Congratulations also to Wrexham of course who became the first Welsh club to lift the FA Trophy after beating Grimsby 4-1 on penalties at Wembley over 35,000 fans went to that game. Massive following from both sides, which is, of course, great for the conference. Now, I know that our Twitter topic is sporting injuries this week, so I've got a few for you. This one was years ago, but former Kidderminster captain Sean Flynn apparently broke his nose, bruised several toes and split his lip open because he tripped over his son's toys in the living room. Back in the day when Grimsby and Luton were in the Football League, Grimsby's Ivan Obanetti was blamed by then-manager Brian Laws for not pulling his weight during a 3-2 defeat at Luton back in 1996. So angry was Laws that he apparently threw a place of chicken wings at Bonetti and fractured his cheekbone. Laws does refute that, actually, in his book, though, saying that Bonetti threw sandwiches at him first and a punch, and Laws then retaliated. Uh, but anyway, my own injuries, I broke an elbow playing netball, bona fide sporting injury, but a couple of not-so-bonafide sporting injuries. I damaged my back falling down a hole in India almost uh, fractured my cheekbone as well, laughing so hard that I smashed my own face into a pint glass black eye and lots of embarrassment. So on that note, I'll be back next week. The Female Take on Football.
Thank you very much, Faye. Uh, well, as promised, our third more light-hearted topic is titled Kindly from Kate Borsay. Whilst I was in Dubai, you came up with this one. Uh, sorry, boss, the iron fell on my foot. Uh, the best non-footballing injuries that footballers have had to suffer. So if you can give three each, and also you can give your own example if you want to and flip it on yourselves. Any football-related injury stories, things like, I mean, Haley's had so many, glass in her hand. She vomited in the mascot's headpiece. Yeah, that's the football-related injury. But I was the mascot and I was wearing the head just in case you threw up and in case you thought I'd just thrown up all over somebody's face. Yeah. Do you know, I've just actually remembered something. This is really bad. So please, if anyone's listening from the press, don't pick up on this and turn it round. My dad didn't beat his children. However, my dad dislocated his shoulder, telling off me, my sister and brother. We were in the back of the car. Brother always in the middle. He's the youngest. I was to the left, my preferred position. My sister was to the right. My mum was in the front. My dad was getting so angry at us. We were driving from somewhere to Manchester. We were actually heading towards Brian Robson's house. And he put his arm back to like not to smack any of us or anything like that but to just tell us to shut up with his big strong arm and as he yanked his arm back his left arm with his right on the steering wheel he actually dislocated his shoulder my mum had to take off and we turned up at Brian Robson's house with an ambulance waiting to take him off with his shoulder half hanging out as they were trying to pop it back in so we felt terribly terribly guilty I remember that back in the 80s yeah he was I think he was obviously playing at Man United at the time there you go um, we'll go with Kate then first. What three have you got? Uh, this is a good one. Kirk Broadfoot uh, was treated for facial burns in 2009. Did you know? I've lifted this off the internet. Um, he was poaching an egg in the microwave before an explosion caused the egg to come flying out of the microwave in different directions, quite literally leaving him with egg on his <laughs> face. <laughs> uh, Leroy Lita was uh, forced to uh, endure a spell in the treatment room in 2007. After he woke up in bed, morning stretch, and uh, managed to snap a muscle. Uh, several, this is, uh, this is uh, according to the internet, guys, uh, several of uh, our most treasured, well-known names have pulled muscles whilst reaching for the remote control. Apparently, uh, Robbie Keane... Ferdinand was one of those, wasn't he? Yeah. Correct. Uh, Robbie Keane, Carlo Cudicini, David Seaman, David James, uh, Rio Ferdinand as well have, have all apparently pulled muscles whilst uh, watching the TV. Um, I'm going to give you uh, Jan Lippmanen. From 2005. Uh, for Fulham and for Finland under Roy Hodgson, so he would be able to vouch for this one if we see Roy again to ask him. Um, hit by a ring pull on a Coca-Cola can that lodged in his cornea. Ow. Oh, ow! I don't like to think about things with eyes, actually. It makes me feel a bit ill. Um, Alan Wright, Villa fullback, put his knee out. I love this because it's a typical footballer story of, of now, if you think about money. While stretching to reach the accelerator on his new Ferrari. Um, my final one is Alan Mullery, um, an England star, of course, missing the 1964 tour of South America after injuring his back whilst filling the gap. Hoovering, brushing his teeth. <laughs> oh my goodness. There's so many, isn't there? It's quite funny. Aston Villa's Darius Vassell um, spotted a blood blister underneath the nail on his big toe. He decided to get out a black and decker. He got out a drill, drilled through the nail 
to help the blood blister. He'd obviously seen this happen before with his physio or on telly or something. <laughs> and uh, he picked up a blood infection and had to have the whole of his toenail removed oh. just through his DIY attempts with his DIY drill. Manchester United's Alex Stepney, you've mentioned this in a previous podcast, Kate. Alex Stepney, whilst shouting at his defenders, dislocated his jaw. This is true. And I asked him, he was a guest on a show at Man United Television and... Um, yeah, it was against Birmingham in 1975. He managed to shout at his defenders in such a vigorous manage, uh, manner that he dislocated his jaw. Ouch. So many goalkeeper stories. They're all nuts, mm. aren't they? Uh, Spanish goalkeeper Santiago Canizares missed out on the 2002 World Cup. It's the big oh, one. It's no. a big one. He dropped a bottle of aftershave on his foot mm. and a shard of glass severed a tendon as well. David Besson, he did a similar trick. He dropped a jar of uh, salad cream on his, on his foot and damaged his big toe and he was out as well. I am a salad cream fan over mayonnaise, but that's an aside. A final one here. Now, I did text my friend in the England camp just to see if he could dish the dirt on any bizarre non-footballing injuries that footballers had endured, uh, but he wouldn't come up with the beans. But one thing uh, that he did tell me, uh, and he Dave is famous for being the goalkeeper at Barnsley when they're in the Premier League, Darren Barnard, whilst at Barnsley, he says, had a puppy, slipped on the dog pee and missed weeks. Can you imagine oh. slipping on your own dog's wee and missing weeks? Try and explain that to the boss. <laughs> Okay, Uh, we are going to have a little interlude again. Uh, Once more, this time it's for a Bundesliga roundup, finding out all the German news after our German theme last week. uh, We thought we'd hand over to our expert. Simona Felsberger has got this for us. Hello, ladies. Well, here in Germany, everyone was focused on a World Cup qualifier. Germany played Kazakhstan in Nuremberg and hopes weren't disappointed. Germany blew away the Kazakhstan team 4-1, all goals scored by Borussia Dortmund players, but one, funnily enough for Kazakhstan, by a Kreuter Fürth player Heinrich Schmidtgall, after a silly mistake by German starkeeper and birthday boy Manuel Neuer. The Nuremberg crowd wasn't very forgiving and almost booed him off the pitch. But five victories in six matches is pretty satisfying for DFB and surely is a ticket to Brazil. When it comes to Bundesliga, we have Bayern still on top of the league. I did ignore your Bayern bashing, as you would have called it, from last week's pod. Ahead of Borussia Dortmund, who is closely followed by Bayer Leverkusen. Also, Mats Hummels from BVB is apparently on FC Barcelona shopping list. I'll certainly keep you updated on that one. Happy times and happy Easter to you ladies. Hi, I'm Charlie Nicholas at Sky Sports and I'm listening to the offside rule. Can't believe it, three girls talking about football. The game has lost its credibility. We're all going to lose our jobs very quickly. The girls are taking over. Thank you very much, Simona. And we'll now just conclude with our Twitter topic of the week before saying our goodbyes for episode 20. Um, And the Twitter topic of the week was all inspired by the poor weather. All this snow in March. What are we to do with ourselves, girls? We all want to go and put our sunnies on, our bikinis, sit in the nice spring sunshine. Is it going to happen? No. Yeah, it's, I won't be here for the next couple of oh, weeks because no. I'll be in Miami, yeah. then Manchester. Oh, the oh, the glory. Miami to Manchester. Yeah. So after the snow at the weekend, we want to know, we've had all these images of fans having to go up and down the country with their snow shovels to get out the actual drive um, because it's been that terrible. So the lengths that you or anyone else has gone to to make sure that a game goes ahead or that you've got to a football match. Well, on to some of our responses. This is a longer story, but very good, I'm told. So Rich. Richard Buxton got in touch, who's Richard underscore Buxton underscore 28, if you want to follow him on Twitter. 
I ruptured my right medial cruciate ligament an hour before I was due to travel to London for a match down there the next day. It's quite a story, so go with us on this. I was due to cover Liverpool's trip to Spurs in September and was travelling down with a friend a day early because it was an early kickoff. That's the TV's fault, of course. Um, I suffered a freak accident an hour before we were due to catch the train and ruptured my right MCL. I managed to drag myself a quarter of a mile down the road to the nearest bus stop, onto a bus, through Liverpool City Centre and onto the train. When I got to London, I managed to get three tubes back to where I was staying in Essex, all without crutches. The next day, I did the same thing with my knee ballooned up even more to get to White Hart Lane to cover the game and then back to Liverpool again, where my mate went off in a huff and left me to drag myself and my bags to the nearest taxi rank. And if that wasn't bad enough, I covered a game where Liverpool lost 4-0 and had two players sent off. All of that effort that that result. That is an epic story, isn't it? It is. Um, We've got Peter Badofsky next. Thank you, Peter. You rode a bus 400 kilometres to Detroit uh, by myself to see Canada lose 2-0 to the US. Oh, dear. I returned the same day at 2am and went to work that little bit sadder. We've all been there, Peter. Uh, Maybe not in the US, though. Detroit, what a place to go to. Uh, Dave Pallett next, who went slightly AWOL from the army to see Coventry versus Everton at Highfield Road. Steve Froggart, love the old Froggart, scored a cracker. Going AWOL? from the army though yeah it's a wonder you didn't get in lots of trouble or maybe you will na- hopefully he's out the army now <laughs> I think if you turn up in your uniform you get in for free but yes you would if you put a bit of the fake blood on your face wouldn't you as if something had really bad had happened I've come from battle and I need cheering up the power of football will fix me <laughs> it's a long walk from Beirut but I'm here <laughs> we have a regular as well Six Music Chris who gets in touch he's got some great stories by the way he said Swindon away this season hotel cancelled at the last minute it cost him 85 quid for a new one and floods meant that the train took seven hours back to Manchester including two hours in Banbury not a place you want to be stuck for two hours Excuse me, Banbury people. Um, final score, Swindon nil, Brentford won. So there was a silver lining to the tail. So those were our Twitter topics of the week. There'll be another one that we will canvas for your input. So look on our um, on our Twitter account. It's at Offside Rule Pod. Uh, give us a follow while you're there. We're on SoundCloud. We're also on iTunes. So you can subscribe for the whole season. That's it for episode 20. We'll come back with 21. Natalie Sawyer will be joining us to talk Offside Rule Pod business next week. Kate will say you'll be here, won't you? I certainly will be. And the week after, Hayley's also missing. And we've got a surprise guest coming up in a couple of weeks' time. So keep listening. Bye-bye. The Offside Rule. We get it. With Lindsay Hooper, Hayley McQueen and Kate Borsay. Produced by Sarah Grun.